our God and our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A number of years ago, a friend gave me a copy of a note that was written by a young African pastor. It was found among his papers in Zimbabwe shortly after this man had been martyred, shortly after he had been killed for his faith. This note reads as follows. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. The decision has been made. I have stepped over the line. I am a disciple of his, and I won't look back, let up, slow down, or back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk with patience, live by prayer, and labor by the Holy Spirit's power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, but my guide is reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he comes, give until I drop, preach until I'll know, and work until he stops me. My banner is cleared. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. Every time I read that, I am moved by those words. I mean, what an example of extreme persistence being a part of the fellowship of the unashamed, even in the face of death. Those words written by someone, a young African pastor, shortly before he died. I mean, here was a man who knew what it meant to not only run the race, but to finish it. Now, this morning, we're continuing our message series called Extreme Faith, and I want to move on and and lead you into this thought that extreme faith leads to extreme persistence. And this morning, from God's Word, I want to share with you four things that God has to say about not only running the race, but more importantly, finishing the race. The first thing Scripture would tell us about this race of life is to remove any distractions. Get rid of the distractions. On your message outline, you see Hebrews 12 that says, let us run the race that is set before us and never give up. We should remove from our lives anything that would get in the way and the sin that so easily holds us back. Or some of you remember the old King James that says, the sin that so easily entangles. Friends, one thing I know about life is this. God has created each and every one of you for, to run a unique race. And only you can run the race that God has designed for you. The problem is, all of us at one time or another have had moms or dads or grandmas and grandpas or good, well-meaning friends who have thought we should run the race 
they design for us. Whenever that happens, guess what? We end up in deep weeds. You won't finish the race well running someone else's race. You need to run that race to follow that purpose, to follow that dream persistently that God has laid out and designed and wired you up strictly for you. Now, Paul says that one of the ways to run that race, a good race, is to simplify your life, to get rid of all of the baggage in your life and all of those diversions and all of those distractions and, and all of those time wasters that keep us from being everything God wants us to be. Now, let me ask you, what could distract you from the purposes of God in your life? Now, if the purposes of God in your life are to do this, to love your neighbor with all your heart, body, mind, soul, and spirit, if one of God's purposes is that you make disciples of all nations, if another purpose is that God wants you to know him and love him even as he knows and loves you, what could possibly distract you from getting that done? Well, let me give you a few ideas. I think trying to be like other people would distract you. All of us have that kind of innate desire to be like someone else. I got news for you. God only made one of you, and if you're anything like me, one of you is enough. Thank you. Making money your primary goal will distract you in life as well. Habits, good habits, bad habits, some of them can distract you. The wrong kind of friends can distract you. That's why Psalm 1 is so important when it talks about blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the seat of sinners or sits in the, uh, the seat of the scornful. He said bad company can distract you. That old adage, how can you expect to soar like an eagle when you hang around with turkeys? Probably fits. But the biggest distraction of all, I would suggest to you, is your past. So many people and I'm sure that there are people like that here this morning, are loaded down with guilt or resentment. You walk around with shame and bitterness in your life. It's like trying to run a 100-meter dash with two sacks of garbage on each shoulder. What happens is we get sidelined. We get stuck. Other people trip us up, or we sometimes trip ourselves up. You continue to hold on to all of the hurts. You refuse to forgive and you keep on beating yourself up over all those bad decisions you made in the past. And when you're always looking over your shoulder, believe me, you're going to have a hard time reaching the goal that's in front of you. If you don't believe that's true, I mean, how many times have you witnessed that in a sporting event? I've seen players go up for a dunk and were looking at the cameras and went right by the basket. I've seen players, and I, I've done this myself, I've looked over my shoulder to see how much distance I'd put between myself and the opponent, only to find out that the guy hit me from the other side and I fumbled, didn't get to the goal line. It happens. Watch the Super Bowl today. Watch who gets blindsided. It's people whose eyes are not on what they should be looking for. The Apostle Paul, great man of Scripture, great man in the Bible, had plenty of regrets. Before Paul ever became a Christ follower, what was he? He was a religious terrorist. He was going around killing Christians for God. That's what he thought he was doing. But then in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, he says, forgetting the past. Forgetting the past, he says. And I look forward to what lies ahead, and I stretch to reach that prize that is there for me. 
Friends, you and I need to do that too, to be persistent in life, to finish what God has put you on the path to do. You're going to have to conserve your emotional energy for the future, not your past, not for worry, not for guilt, not for regret. Let go of grudges. Let go of all that grief and all of that kind of stuff. The Bible pretty much says, let go and let God. In Isaiah 43, it just simply says, don't dwell on the past. If you want to run your race and finish it, get rid of the distractions. Here's number two. Remember the reward. See, you cannot run a race without keeping your eyes on the finish line. If you're going to finish well, you have to remind yourself constantly why we do what we do. For example, if the why is immediate gratification, you're going to last about five minutes. If the why is a short-term or a long-term satisfaction, you may last a little bit longer. But I suggest to you, friends, if you call yourself a Christian, a Christ follower, a follower, a lover of Jesus, the only why behind what you and I do that makes us last all the way through life's tough times is the eternal reward that God will give to us. There's kind of like a magnet sitting inside of us and the other end sits in heaven that constantly draws Christians towards heaven. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, To win the contest, you must deny yourself many things that would keep you from doing your best. We do it, he says, for a heavenly reward that never disappears. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step, a heavenly reward personally rewarded by God. In the Olympics today, I would seriously doubt that anyone who has ever won a gold medal could tell you the name of the person who put that gold medal around their neck. But I can tell you someday you're going to know exactly who's talking to you when he looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You are going to know because he's promised to give you that reward in heaven. But you know, the odd thing is this. A lot of people have a faulty idea of a heavenly reward system that worries them rather than motivates them. Now, some people worry about the heavenly reward because they view life as being kind of like balance scales, that, you know, at the end, God is going to take your good and your bad and put them all together, and if you got a little bit more good, he's going to bless you for that little you got. But, friends, you could not be further from the truth. God does not reward us based on our balance scale. And instead of that faulty scale, what does he use? A simple little word called grace. Grace means that all the things I've done, all the sins I've committed, what does God do? With his blood, he erases them, he forgives them when I put my faith in his son, Jesus. Grace means that every good thing I do by faith, God rewards. Every word of truth I speak by faith, God rewards. Every thought and prayer I pray by faith, God rewards. Every action by faith, God rewards. Every last single one of them. And God made us, God fashioned us to look forward to seeking those rewards. Now, what happens in real life? Tomorrow, many of you will go back to work, you go back to school, you go back to your everyday sort of life. What happens tomorrow if you have a really tough day at work? Well, some people reward themselves on the way home. 
They go through the drive-in at Dunkin' Donuts or something and buy themselves an apple fritter. What, you know, what if you have a really bad week? Well, you join the rest of the people who say, thank God it's Friday. I got the weekend. And if you have a really bad year, what do you do? You say, thank God for those three weeks vacation. But friends, what do you do when the day's reward is not good enough? What do you do when the weekend isn't long enough? And what do you do when there is absolutely no vacation fantastic enough to give you hope? What are you going to do then? You know, there are many times in life when the only strength that's big enough to help you make it through whatever it is you're going through, to help you know that you can truly finish well, to encourage you in tough times, whatever they may be, is knowing that God has a reward out there for you and it's got your name on it. I think of some of the difficult times I faced in life, I think, but I still got heaven. I got heaven waiting for me. This may stink right now, but I've got heaven looking me in the face. My reward is out there. Paul says it was that kind of motivation that helped him to run with purpose in every single step of his life. It changed the way he lived. That kind of motivation helps you to focus not on your problems, but on the problem solver. It focuses you not on those problems, but on the whole purpose that God has for the life that he's wired you up to run. In Hebrews 6, verse 12, it says, don't drag your feet. Don't be like those who stay the course with committed faith and then get every, but be like those who stay the course with committed faith and then get everything promised to them. And one of the ways that you can focus on God's reward in eternity is by focusing on some of God's promises for now. That's why each week in this series I've been giving you an extreme faith verse. It's on your outline again. I hope you're memorizing these poking them away, putting them down in your heart to remember. This week's extreme faith verse I've given you is Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It goes this way, Let us not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. Anybody here? Can you use that verse? I think all of us could. See, the third key of finishing your race of life is to resist all discouragement. As I look out at you, I can't read minds. I did not take that class at the seminary. But I know that in a group this size, there are people here today who are discouraged for one reason or another. You're worried a little bit about your health. You're a little discouraged because of your finances. You may be discouraged in your marriage. You may be discouraged with your kids. Kids may be discouraged with their parents. Maybe you're discouraged about your desire to get married or your desire to change jobs. But folks, I want to be honest with you today. If you are discouraged today, it's because you have chosen to be discouraged. No one is forcing you to be discouraged. No one is holding a gun to your head and saying, John or Mary, be discouraged. Discouragement is a choice. Understand, too, that discouragement is one of Satan's most favorite tools to make you ineffective. If Satan can get you to feel discouraged, he's got you locked up. 
That's why I want you to look back at, at Galatians 6, 9. I want to talk about it a little bit in detail. He says, let us not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. Now, if you look at that verse, notice that it says, don't get tired of doing what is right. You raise your hand for this, but how many of you have ever gotten tired of doing what is right? All of us. Why do we get so tired of doing right? It's because it's a, it's a whole lot easier to do what's wrong. In fact, if doing what is wrong were hard, maybe less people would actually do it. I mean, it's easier to be undisciplined than it is to be disciplined. It's always easier to lie than to tell the truth. It's always easier to be selfish than unselfish. It's always easier to be codependent and put up with things rather than learn to confront people in Christian love. See, that's why we get tired of doing what is right. And notice, though, it says, don't get tired of doing what is right, for after a while, for after a while, you'll reap blessing. That's if we don't give up. You get lots more than you planted. That's just part of God's economy. When you plant a seed, do you get a plant automatically? No. I remember doing projects with kids when I first taught in elementary school. We had them plant that bean in that cut-off carton of milk. And the kids the next day came to look for their plant. And you had to tell them, it's not going to be there. It's going to take a while. It takes a while. You plant in one season. You harvest in another season. You don't get instant gratification. God is not like some giant celestial vending machine where you poke in a prayer and then pull out your promise just like that. That may make some of you wonder, why does God delay answering our prayers then sometimes? I think it's more often because he's trying to stretch your faith a little bit. I mean, I've heard people say to me, they said to me already, Pastor, I'm going to start following God's principles of finance. I'm going to start tithing today. And so they, they begin putting God first. They give back 10% to God, and they expect that on Monday morning, all of their financial problems have disappeared. It ain't going to happen that way, folks, unless God should choose to do it that way. But instead, there's a delay between sowing and reaping. It says, after a while, after a while. Now, let me ask, what are you doing during that after a while period when you've done everything that's right but you haven't seen the reward yet well what the scripture says it says keep on doing what's right keep on doing it let me give you an example let's say that your spouse has been rather unkind to you lately so you think to yourself i'm going to do the right thing i'm going to be kind to this person rather than to respond in a like manner I'm going to return good for evil. But what if they don't instantaneously change and call you honey and sweetie or buy you something the next day? Then what? Well, the Bible passage says simple. You keep on doing what is right, and after a while, the seed begins to grow. See, doing the right thing, even when it seems like there's no good thing coming out of it. If nothing else, it's good for you and it pleases God. One great test of faith is handling delays or setbacks. 
when you have delays or setbacks, friends, how do you react? I know some of you throw a pity party and you invite yourself. You have your very own personal pity party. Some of you probably complain about it. Some of you gripe about it. But the Bible says this, keep on doing what is right, for after a little while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't what? Don't get discouraged or give up. Don't give in without a fight. Anything worth having in this life, friends, takes effort. It takes energy. It takes endurance. You can count on this. God will test your faith. He will test your commitment because he wants you to, to learn at least two things. He wants you to understand what's inside of you. He wants you to understand what he created when he created you. And he also wants you to know what God is really like. If you're going to learn that God is sufficient in every situation, I could pretty much guarantee that he's going to probably take you through every situation, financial or health or relational. God wants to teach you about you, and he wants to teach you about him. Life is tough. I, I, I couldn't kid you and tell you that life is, is a barrel of monkeys or a laugh a minute. I mean, we are not living in heaven, friends. So what do you do then when you've chosen to be discouraged and you want to give up? Look at Psalm 94, 19. There's an answer for you. Lord, when doubts fill my mind, when my heart is in turmoil, quiet me and give me renewed hope and cheer. Two things in that passage leap out at me. First of all, it says, quiet me. But we don't like quiet very much, do we? Some of you just wondered what's going on when I stopped talking. Maybe you weren't paying attention and thought I was looking at you. Quietness actually scares some people. In fact, some of you are only quiet when you sleep. <laughs> and some of you aren't that quiet when you sleep. I mean, the moment the alarm goes off, isn't that a horrible word in the morning? An alarm goes off, and you turn on the radio, or you turn on the TV, you pick up the paper, you're on the phone, you're on the computer, you're running someplace. I mean, when was the last time, honestly, that you spent 10 minutes in total silence, not doing anything, simply saying, God, do you have anything to say to me? I'm not, saying, I'm not talking about you know, praying and reading the Bible. I'm just saying do nothing. I read this not long ago. I don't know whether it's true or not, but I, you know, don't, this didn't fall off of Mount Sinai, so don't write this down as gospel truth. But somebody said the less silence you have in your life, the more stress you will have in your life. I don't know whether that's true or not. It kind of makes sense to me on one level. Now, I'm not talking about your quiet time when you open up your Bible and read and when you pray. I'm just talking about flat out being quiet. That's a great cure for depression or discouragement. Just sitting before the Lord and waiting for him to speak. There's a second thing in that passage. It talks about giving me renewed hope and cheer. Now, how do you do that? Well, I tell you, you look at God. 
you focus on God. See, when you focus on God to relieve your discouragement, you're asking him to do two. You're, he's asking you to remind you to do about three things. One, remember God's goodness in your past. Remember God's power in your present. And remember God's promise for the future. Philippians 1.6 says, God who began a good work, that's kind of past, within you will keep right on helping you, that's in the present, until he finishes, that's in the future. What God starts in your life, he finishes, he will not, he's not through with you. Personal question, where do you need to be more persistent in your life? What are the things that you have started but haven't finished? In the race of life, I've already suggested to you that what you need to do is remove some distractions. You need to remember the reward at the end of the finish line and resist all discouragement. But if you're really going to last the long haul, you're going to need to be recharged physically and spiritually, and that's the fourth step here. The fourth step is to renew yourself daily. It's kind of like learning the art of in-flight refueling to keep on keeping on and still get recharged. And I suggest two ways. One of them is you've got to learn to do this physically every day. Now, I'm not preaching to the choir on this. I'm preaching probably to myself on this. I know that if I can get discouraged or bogged down or feeling poorly about myself, I can tell you exactly what I probably should do. I should be out taking more walks. Physically renew yourself. Psalm 127, verse 2 says, God wanted his loved ones to get their proper rest. This is Super Bowl Sunday, so why don't I use at least one football example? Huh? Vince Lombardi, Green Bay Packer football coach, said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Friends, when you're tired, you get discouraged. You ever feel sick and tired over being sick and tired? Then you maybe need some physical renewal some of you need to have a saner schedule so you can just plain simple get more rest. I, I, I can show you how to do it very quickly. It goes like this. You get that? Derek, you know what that is? That's called turn off the TV at a reasonable time. <laughs> That's what that is. You can practice that later. Get your technique down. You need some rest. But more importantly, you need daily spiritual renewal. Second Corinthians says, this is why we never give up. Our spirits are being renewed every day. And the way you get spiritual renewal is by spending time with God. See, friends, the secret of extreme persistence, the secret of finishing what you start, is to focus on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2, let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. He didn't give up because of the cross. No matter what you think you've got out there, it's not near as hard as what Jesus had to face. Yet Jesus didn't give up. Why? Because he knew the reason why he was doing it, and he knew the rewards that were laying out there ahead of him. See, when you plug into his power, you will have the power of persistence. And you need that kind of power because you're not going to make it on your own. You need to depend on him and rely on him and trust in him because extreme faith in Jesus leads to extreme persistence. Now, I also know that there may be some of you here today saying, well, okay, I kind of understand that, but it's a little late for me. 
I've already blown it. I've run way too much of my life to kind of start and running it now. Wrong. You're dead wrong. God is not through with any of you. If you're still sitting here breathing, God's got something for you to do. And if you're not here, you're probably in heaven and he's got something for you to do up there anyway. I mean, God's not through. Your race is not over. And the truth is, it doesn't really make, make any difference how you start the race or how you mess up in the race. What matters most is where are you going from here? What direction are your feet facing? Are you going to serve him and love him and follow his race? Or are you going to follow the expectations and the other people who try to distract you? I mean, you are never a failure unless you quit. And it's always too soon to quit. That's what God would tell us. As I close, I want to ask you three critical questions. Critical question number one, what have you felt like giving up on lately? What have you felt like giving up on lately? Is it a dream? Is it a goal? You thought about giving up on a child? Or giving up on your marriage? Giving up on the Lord? Let me give you some godly advice. Don't. I can't say it any simpler than that. Don't do it. Don't give up. Hang in there with Jesus. Critical question number two, what do you need to finish? Is it a commitment, a project, or a promise? remember a young man a number of years ago who told me that he was thinking of divorcing his wife. I said, you can't do it. He said, why not? I said, you're not done with your commitment. As far as I could tell, when he and his bride stood in front of me, in front of God's altar, he promised to hang in there till death do us part. I mean, some of you need to stop procrastinating. I said this last week. Quit fixing to do things. Quit aiming to do things. Some of you just need to pull the trigger. Critical question number three, what's holding you back from God's best? What's holding you back from doing God's best? Is it a relationship you find yourself in that's keeping you from accomplishing God's best? Is it a fear? Is it your job? Bad values? I suggest to you that all it would take to do God's very best is to simply say, Jesus, I want to run your race, and I need your help. Let's pray. Father, life is often very, very tough. And there's no doubt about it. We feel like giving up. Every last one of us has felt that way at one time or another. There may even be people here today who are at the breaking point or the quitting point, the bailout point. Father, I pray that you will strengthen their faith. Indeed, I pray that you will strengthen all of our faith to keep our focus on you, to get rid of those distractions, to help all of us to finish the race and to complete the race that you have laid out before us, that race that includes loving one another and loving you. For we pray it in your Son's name. Amen. Let's stand to sing our closing song. The words are printed for you in your word.